Thank you for downloading or watching our sermon series titled Redeemed in Christ. We are going through the Heidelberg Catechism. The Catechism is written in 1563 using a question-and-answer format. The Catechism's goal is to instruct the Lord's people to understand the Reformed faith by answering common questions from the Scripture. Please join us as we walk through this historic document and ponder the Lord's grace and mercy as we are reminded that we are redeemed in Christ. One of the things we hopefully are taking home from the Catechism is a call for us to live out our redemption in the Lord. It's understanding we are the Lord's people. And so when we say this, we have to affirm that we need to be redeemed, right? We need to have that humility that we've sinned and, and we need the Lord's redemption. And we also uh, know that we are called uh, to live uh, for the Lord as Christ has redeemed us. So we have to rest in the satisfaction of his work and desire to bring our lives uh, into conformity with Christ as we walk in the power of his spirit. And so when we look at the law of God and as we lay this out in terms of gratitude, uh, we understand that we're not obeying the law of God to receive uh, rewards or merits in terms of the motivation. Our motivation is simply we're redeemed in Christ. We do this for his honor and glory. And so in the catechism, we make a transition as to how uh, we view God and how we worship God and how we interact with God to now how we interact with man. And so when we look at the fifth commandment, uh, the fifth commandment is given to us uh, basically as a first commandment in the second table of the law, uh, calling to our attention that we are uh, to honor authority that is placed over us. Uh, there's sections where I wanted to, to stumble uh, in terms of children obeying their parents, uh, but I decided not to have a stutter this evening, just so my children are aware. Uh, but anyway, the reality is, as we hear this, we understand that there is a call for all of us to obey our God. And so it really <clears throat> comes down to how do we know that this is consistent with the gospel? Uh, how do we know this is living out the gospel for the honor and glory of our King? And so as we look at this, we'll see first, children obey. Secondly, fathers beware. So there's also a warning that's given uh, to fathers. And then it's also just masters be cautious, just a general a caution for all of us as we live our lives before the face of God. And so let's begin with the call for children to obey. The Catechism tells us that there's basically three things children are to do. Honor, love, and faithfulness are the, 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 the key words that we find here in the Catechism. Uh, honor is um, showing respect, uh, uh, having re or revering their parents, uh, doing what is honorable before them. Love, this isn't just obeying parents just to obey parents. Uh, this is honestly caring about the family. This is having a, a true concern for uh, what honors parents and doing it truly out of love. And then faithfulness. Uh, this is a reminder that we obey uh, to be exclusive in seeing ourselves as tied to a particular family. And so that the catechism is reminding us of who we are, uh, that we are those who are set apart unto the Lord and, and called to honor our parents as the Lord's redeemed. And so we, we may ask then, why do we do this? 
when we look at this, we do this as members of the Lord's community, right? I mean, it's an important thing to, to remember. And in fact, uh, looking at Ephesians 6, um, when people really hammer me in terms of infant baptism and why I believe in infant baptism, Ephesians 6 is a very good passage uh, to keep in mind in terms of seeing the, the correlation of the covenant, as, as we'll see this evening. But in terms of, of Ephesians and this community, and this is why I also wanted to look at Ephesians and just dealing with the theme of the catechism. Ephesians is that reminder of having that exclusive commitment to God. A lot of people say Ephesians and Colossians, Paul's probably writing to a rather similar situation uh, of people really doubting the accomplishment of Christ's work. You know, here's Christ in heaven, we're here on earth, there's all these principalities and powers and, and all these temptations. How do we really know Christ has overcome? Well, Ephesians and Colossians, I'd argue, more so really dealing with the reality that God has overcome in Christ. Ephesians has a lot of those same themes. Um, not to say I like Ephesians more than Colossians, but what I really appreciate about Ephesians is how Paul reminds us of that communal nature uh, of who we are, uh, that we don't just sojourn through this world alone. We're, we're a body of Christ, you know, in terms of his exhortation of the family, uh, how husbands and wives interact. He grounds that in how Christ uh, redeems the church and how the church is a bride of Christ. So you see that correlation, the unity of, of the family and how we're joined to Christ, we're not abstracted uh, from our Redeemer. And the other thing we find uh, with Ephesians is Ephesians is, is reminding us of who we are, uh, that our religion, our convictions are built upon the Word of God, upon Christ, upon His promises. Uh, you know, when Paul lays out the mystery that we've talked about before, it's another thing he lays out in Ephesians, uh, that mystery, Ephesians 1 verse 9, 3 verse 3, 5 verse 32, 6 verse 19. And so in this, in this small epistle, you have this mystery, mystery, mystery called to our attention. And again, that, that mystery isn't something that we're never going to discern or learn. But it's understanding God's intention for his community. And one of the beautiful things about this mystery in Ephesians 3 is where he talks about how the church is seen as a New Testament temple. And so it's this beautiful picture of how you have Israel being the temple people of God, you know, the Jewish people of Jewish descent. And then Ephesians 3 with the unfolding of the mystery, how we're brought into this temple as Gentiles. And so you, you have this, this very tangible picture, if you will, uh, of a temple being built, cinder block by cinder block, uh, piece of wood by piece of wood being set in its place, and how you have a Jewish individual, a, a Gentile individual, Jewish individual, Gentile individual, built together, sharing in the same inheritance and the same promises as God intended from the Old Testament. And so just in, in terms of a broad understanding of Ephesians, uh, the Apostle Paul is one who really lays uh, the, the foundation as the Old Testament. It's important to understand the Old Testament's our history. Ephesians 2 verse 20, what's the foundation of the church? Well, 
It's built upon the foundations of the prophets and the apostles, right? Old Testament, New Testament, all speaking of the same Christ. And so when, when you have this as a backdrop in terms of this exhortation, in terms of how we live out the gospel, uh, we're, we're understanding that the Apostle Paul is not seeing exhortations in the Old Testament uh, and, and you know, a covenant history that's unique for Abraham. And then there's a covenant history that's just reserved for us as Gentiles. It's important. Paul, Pharisee of Pharisees, hater of Gentiles, naturally in his upbringing, is one who writes this rich letter, uh, giving us this assurance that we share in the heritage of Israel and the promises of God. And it really opens you up to recognize this this richness and, and, and the history of our tradition and who we are as a people set apart in the living Christ, as those seated with him, as God is moved by his mercy, etc. You can find all these things in, in Ephesians, which is just a wonderful, edifying letter. Not to say the other letters are not, uh, but with Ephesians, certainly that, that communal nature, uh, understanding the emphasis of the historicity of who we are as God's people throughout covenant history, how God has shown his love, we love in him, etc. But going on in terms of the context here, when we look at this, we, we've talked about how we're moving to a series of exhortations. And a section starts basically in Ephesians 4, verse 17. And where the apostle wants us to understand our contrast, and it's important with what I just laid out from Ephesians 3, we're Gentiles brought into the New Testament temple. So now hear what Paul says to the Ephesian church in 4 verse 17. Now this I say to testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles. Well, this is a letter written to a Gentile church with Gentiles in the community, and we're certainly receiving this as a Gentile a group of people. And so when, when Paul says this, this is a wonderful exhortation, right? I mean, he's saying, this is what the Lord said to Israel. This is what I'm saying to the church. Don't walk as those uh, who are outside of Christ, who have no value for Christ or love for Christ. Going on, we've talked about in Ephesians 5 verse 1, that strong exhortation to be imitators of God. I mean, what a, what a strong exhortation to hear. But then he reminds us, as beloved children. In other words, co-heirs with Christ Jesus, sharing in the redemptive promises, sharing in the history of the Old Testament, sharing in, in, in those redemptive blessings. And then Ephesians 5, 22 through 33 is also important to understand this context. Because here we have the household codes, husbands, wives, how they interact with one another in Christ. So it's important. We, we hear this, say, okay, well, we can appeal to this in terms of Old Testament uh, exhortations, uh, as we would understand. But it's important to understand he's going right here to the adults, right? To, to the adults, the parents. And he moves from the parents, all of a sudden to 6 verse 1, children, obey your parents. And so right here, when, when people say, well, I don't believe this you know, covenant theology stuff with baptism, you guys are reading this into the text. It's not really there. It's important to lay out what I've just laid out. Ephesians 3, Gentiles being brought in, 
We're exhorted not to walk as Gentiles, so we're seen as, as a new Israel in, in Paul's exhortation. We have these exhortations given to the church to be imitators of God, adults clearly being exhorted with husbands and wives, and then boom, right to children. And there's no qualification there. There's no age that's given. So the assumption is any child that can understand the language uh, is, is, is exhorted to live this out, is to hear this, which tells us that this call is for children to obey their parents as they're in the Lord. And so this is part of their covenantal identity. So as children were part of the covenant in the Old Testament, the Apostle Paul is 100% assuming right here that that covenant identity is still there. It's not to say they're elect or non-elect. It's not to say they're regenerate or not regenerate. You know, that's a lot of the, 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 the problem that people have. And the problem that, that we have is we try to identify the sign with the gospel. And, and, and you know, we may hear that, so what do you mean by that? Well, when we look at circumcision, what's circumcision? Well, it's given because Abraham um, lacked faith. He wasn't confident that the Lord was going to bring life through death and so he sinned, and the Lord gave him the sign to say that this is going to come through natural generation. Uh, the seed of the woman will arrive in history. Well, now that the seed of the woman has arrived in history, we no longer need circumcision. Uh, we're, we're not looking to the arrival of that genealogy and, and, and climax, the ultimate outcome of what that genealogy was to be, Christ Jesus. So now we have baptism. And it's a sign of the Spirit being present with the community. But a lot of people say, no, baptism's a sign of regeneration. We say, well, kind of, but it's a sign of the Spirit being with the community. It's symbolizing that the gospel is present with the church. And so it's a sign picturing that deliverance from death and, and having life and being delivered out of the belly of the sea and all this symbolism that we find in Scripture. Telling us here as children receive an exhortation, children are members of the covenant community. So this isn't optional. So if the children are looking for a way out and say, well, I haven't made profession of faith. I'm not really a member of the covenant. Uh, we can turn to our children and say, you're baptized. You're a member of the covenant. This is your obligation. You are to obey us as your parents. This is what you are called to do. Now, as the apostle Paul goes on, and he actually cites uh, from the Decalogue. So again, this underscores exactly what I've said, that the Apostle Paul's assuming the Old Testament here. And as he cites from the Decalogue, he says this is the first commandment, referring to the fifth commandment, uh, with a promise. And people debate this, and they say, well, the second commandment sort of has a promise in the sense that uh, if you're consistently faithful to God and, and you worship him exclusively, God's going to bless you. Uh, if you don't worship God exclusively, he's not going to bless you. So they say, see, the second commandment has an implicit promise. But I think what the Apostle Paul is getting at here is that in the fifth commandment, basically the first table of the law, uh, or the, the first commandment to the second table of the law, dealing with man and man interacting with each other, I think he's telling us that here is the first explicit promise that is made. Uh, you obey your parents, Live long in the land. So the Apostle Paul 
I don't think it's necessarily saying that we're going to live long in America. Um, the reformers debated this as to what it means. Many reformers said that if, if you certainly obey authority, your entrance into heaven is there. And so they, they sort of uh, stretch it out to that reality of, of heaven and the Sabbath rest. Uh, I, I think the point Paul's making is that the Lord saw this as an important commandment in terms of structuring society, structuring households, that this is important. And so the Apostle Paul wants, wants to basically grab the community's attention and say, listen, this is something for the community to exist uh, happily, uh, to exist in a way where there's order, there's cohesiveness, there's unity. And so the Apostle Paul is saying, the Lord saw this as a very important commandment. And so right here, we have that reminder, children are called to obey their parents, they're set apart as covenant children. Uh, they're identified in the household. There is no uh, transition from the parents to the children. The whole household is exhorted to obey the Lord together. Going on then, as a reminder uh, for the parents to beware, especially fathers, as the Apostle Paul uh, goes through his exhortations. Uh, we have here the reminder uh, that it's not just uh, anyone who, who can, it's not just for children as the catechism calls our attention. Uh, this is a reminder for us to obey all who are in authority, all who are uh, over me, and to do so and submit ourselves uh, with proper obedience. Uh, it says good teaching and discipline. Now this good teaching, uh, you can understand is growing out of the Reformation. We can say, well, that teaching doesn't agree with what I think, therefore it's not good teaching, right? We've we got to be careful with that. Uh, the Bereans are ones that search the Scriptures to see if this is true. So they didn't think Paul's teaching was good teaching. But nevertheless, they said, well, Paul's preaching something. Let's search the Scriptures and see if what Paul's saying is true and see if this is good teaching. So again, that good teaching is what is consistent with the canon of Scripture with what God has revealed. And we're called to continually submit ourselves uh, to that instruction and to desire it. But when you think about this growing out of the Reformation, obviously the Roman Catholic Church can look at the Reformers and say, you're schismatics, uh, you're hypocrites, you did not submit to our authority. And this is where the Catechism sort of says, well, your teaching, as we pointed out, is not in line with the gospel of Christ. Uh, we wouldn't say this is good teaching uh, as they define it, and they would show where this is inconsistent. So that's uh, what we find with the intention behind that language here. So now when, when we look at this and we say, well, what does Paul tell us and, and remind us? Well, Paul gives a, a pretty strong exhortation. It's not to say that, that mothers can't struggle with this either, but uh, knowing myself as a father, uh, it tends that fathers uh, can be a little more shall we say, uh, impatient is maybe a delicate way to put it, uh, over mothers. And so here's the exhortation that's given to fathers. Do not provoke your children to anger. Now, in terms of, of this culture, I mean, fathers had a lot of options of what they could do uh, with rebellious children. Uh, we're, we're more limited in our culture uh, in terms of what we can do. And so you can understand that in this culture, I mean, you can have a lot of options. You can disown a kid. You can hang that over the kid's head, like, we'll kick you out. You can sell you into slavery. There's a lot of things you could do. 
Our culture, um, that's not going to go so well. But nevertheless, the intention of this language is something we can still take to heart. Uh, It's a consciousness of who we are as a father. This provoking the children uh, is difficult to bring into the English because we may say, well, this is just, you know, needling the child. Well, that's that's part of it. Uh, Just constantly kind of uh, expecting the child to do more, kind of like dangling the carrot in front of the child's face and and then, you know, ripping it up. Or Lucy with Charlie Brown with the football, right? We're familiar with the Peanuts cartoons. That that can be part of it, of making a, a standard that the child can never attain. And so that's, that's one way this can be uh, worked out. But another way is, is where a father can be so harsh on a child uh, that the child just wants to, to give up. Uh, what's the point? Uh, I'm never going to do what's right anyway, so what's the point of going on? And so the Apostle Paul is saying that, yes, children are to obey their parents, but like you have wives submitting to their husbands, there isn't a free pass for the husbands to do what they want to their wives. Same thing with the children. Obey your parents, but now there's not a free pass for parents to do whatever they want. Uh, there's a consciousness. And, and the consciousness is to ask yourselves, is this a reasonable expectation? Uh, what's the logic or, or the thinking behind this expectation? Um, is this something where I'm going over the top, maybe, uh, in, in terms of how I'm overreacting? The Apostle Paul goes on, so it's not just some subjective uh, standard where you say, well, I don't think I'm provoking, so therefore I'm okay. But the Apostle Paul tells us something else, to bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, when you understand discipline and instruction, these are important concepts in wisdom literature in the Old Testament. Uh, many times we, we think of discipline as just correcting behavior. That's, that's part of it. I mean, certainly we we have certain expectations as to how we want our children to behave and address us. I mean, there's no doubt. Uh, you know, again, it goes back to what's reasonable, what's not. That's up to us uh, to discern before the Lord. But this discipline and instruction is something where we're really trying to bring the children up in the wisdom of Christ. Uh, we, we want them to love their Lord. And, and I think one of the things we, we find from this text as the Apostle Paul is telling us as parents, uh, the Lord has used us to bring our children uh, into history or into the world. And the Lord is sort of allowing us or, or using us to be the stewards of our children, uh, to bring them up, uh, to be well-functioning Christian adults in society. And, and that's fundamentally our goal. And so the discipline and instruction is it's positive and negative. There's times, yes, we, we do have to correct uh, our children when, when they're going in a wayward direction. That, that's certainly part of it. But we also have to teach them how to go in a positive direction. And that's what the Apostle Paul wants us to understand. Be conscious. We can provoke our children, discourage them. Uh, yeah, we, we are called to correct them, but also to make sure that our children receive instruction and wisdom as to what it means to live out the gospel for the honor and glory of our God and to truly desire that. Uh, I know um, one of the things I remember reading uh, from Kim Riddlebarger many years ago in terms of catechizing your children. Uh, I mean, obviously, it's great to have family devotions. It's something I encourage. But also, one of the things Kim drove home is that a lot of times your best conversations 
are not always around the table. Now, there are wonderful times around the table, so I'm not, don't, don't get me wrong saying, well, we're not going to do family devotions because pastor said it's not always wonderful conversations. There are wonderful conversations around the table too, and, and I don't want to minimize that. But what Kim Riddlebarger drove home that I thought was really helpful is that a lot of times when you're just running errands or working on projects or doing things with your kids, you have that opportunity of saying, you know, here's this, here's that, or your kid may ask you, why, why do we do this? Or, or what does this mean? Or, or what is the significance of this? Or why did Christ do this? Or, or why do we talk about this doctrine? And you actually have the opportunity to have this, this conversation. That's sort of what the Apostle Paul is saying here, you know, Give those opportunities. So certainly, have family devotions. Go around the table. Read the scriptures. It's a great thing to do as a family. But also understand there's other opportunities as you're running errands, doing things with your kids, uh, to instruct them. Raise them up in the Lord. Uh, teach them to see the goodness of our God. And this isn't just when our children are, are young little whippersnappers, uh, but also as they grow up and, and they move to adulthood. We also have this opportunity of imparting uh, whatever wisdom or whatever we've learned uh, from life uh, upon them as we go about our days. And so right here, up to this point, we know children obey their parents. There's the exhortation for parents uh, to have a, a deliberate consciousness as to how we raise our children, if you will, correcting them, also encouraging them in how they live out the gospel. But then the Apostle Paul in, in the Catechism goes on, reminding us of the ultimate master. Uh, and so as we look at this, uh, we see that the masters are to be conscious. So there's two things to note when we think about uh, this reality and what the catechism's laying out. Uh, first, uh, we know that uh, we're not that put together. Moms and dads struggle. Uh, we, we know that that's the reality of it. And so there's that reminder given to children saying, yes, your, your parents are not perfect. Uh, you, you can find flaws in what they have done. Uh, no parent's perfect. And so there's this other reminder for the children to say, be, be gracious towards your parents. That's the second thing. No parent's great, uh, perfect. Children, be gracious. As you expect your parents to be long-suffering with you, be long-suffering with your parents. Uh, understand we're all struggling uh, to figure out what it looks like to be a faithful disciple of Christ. Certain days, certain weeks, we do a lot better than others. Uh, so understand that. But the call is for all of us to figure out what it means uh, to walk in Christ, to honor our Lord, uh, and to be gracious and long-suffering in this process. But the Apostle Paul, as he exhorts us, uh, he reminds the bondservants. And this is something where you look at this in, in basically verses uh, 5 through 8. Uh, there's the reality of, of how uh, we obey. It's not an easy exhortation. Now, now, again, when you think of slavery in this context, many times we, we think of slavery in the worst possible way. Uh, not all of these masters were necessarily tyrants. Uh, some were, no doubt. You can certainly find historic reality of that. But it's that reminder that basically as these are living servants, uh, that the bond servants are, are to understand their place. Some of them may have sold themselves into slavery for whatever reason. And so the, Paul's writing to the bond servants and saying, listen, as you're members of the covenant community as well, uh, obey your master. 
But don't just do this with eye service. In other words, so your master gives you a promotion or your master uh, gives you a bonus or there's some benefit. Saying so that's, that's not how we obey. So this goes to all of us in, in terms of how we obey. It's not just we do an, an outward action and make it look like we're obeying. Uh, we we want to do it from the heart. Uh, and so it's that reminder, don't be a people pleaser. In other words, uh, living your life before man, uh, receiving the approval of man and trying to get the approval of man. But he's saying do it because you're set apart in Christ. I think this is the important part of what our catechism is reminding us. We are redeemed in Christ. Our inheritance is set in heaven because of Christ. And so as we obey, we, we do this to the honor and glory of our God, of wanting to honor him. And so it's that reminder that uh, whatever we do, whatever the Lord gives to us is by his grace, by his mercy, and, and we should desire to please the Lord. But then we, we find that there's this reminder, because as we find in the structure, this is your obligation to obey. Oh, and you who are in charge, make sure, right? There's that uh, exhortation given to those in charge. And so now he, he says the masters, listen, this isn't a free pass to, to be a tyrant either. Um, so stop threatening. And so again, with, with slaves, there, there are a lot of things you could do. The, the master's in control and the slave is literally at their mercy. Uh, so whatever the master wanted for the, to happen to the slave, the master can make it happen. Slave doesn't have any rights. Slave can't really do anything about it. So it is kind of a scary situation. So you can understand how a master could run around and continually threaten. Oh, you don't do this. Guess what I'm going to do, right? And so you can always kind of wonder, well, is he joking? Is this real? What's going on with this? And so the Apostle Paul is saying, masters, knock this off. Uh, this, this isn't what you do. This, this isn't your, your calling. And, and don't uh, take out a bad day on your slave, if you will, which is sort of something else that seems to be behind this. And then he reminds us, and all of us, and again, this is one of those things I, I don't fully understand how this works out. I, I really don't. But there's that reminder that we all stand before the Lord, and there's no partiality. Uh, how this works out, I mean, the Belgic Confession, Article 37, lays out that we're going to be held accountable for every idle word. Christ says that. It's a rather... A scary exhortation and reminder. But Paul's calling this to our attention. But I, I, I want to note a couple things about this. Because notice, first of all, in Ephesians, what's the motivation? You are a new creature in Christ. That's what Paul wants us to understand. So I speak of that as a primary motivation the Apostle Paul. You've been redeemed, you're raised up with Christ. This is your identity. Now there's a secondary motivation saying, well, if that doesn't motivate you, you're going to stand before him as judge. And there's no partiality with him. And I think probably one of the most helpful things I've read on this, uh, to sort of clarify it, is Venema's work on uh, the end times when he wrote his book on, on eschatology several years ago. Actually, I want to say decades ago. Uh, but anyway, he talks about the final judgment. And, and what he argues, and I think this is, probably fair when we look at the gospel and, and by the implications of it as he's building his case. And that basically what we would find like with the prophets, uh, where the Lord would say, this is what I have against you. This is where you have failed me. Uh, this is what you have done. 
And so uh, these sins get called to our account. And, and obviously, I mean, what are we going to say before the God of heaven? I mean, you have nothing to say other than Christ. And that's the point Venema makes. That the Lord is going to call this to attention and then it's going to be removed. So it's been dealt with, called to our attention. When we enter into his rest, it's done. We're at the heavenly banquet table. We're there fellowshipping with the saints throughout the ages. And the Lord's going to say, and for the sake of my servant Christ, these are removed. Now, again, we, we don't have an explicit reference in Scripture, but based upon the implications of everything we see in Scripture, I think that's a pretty fair representation of what the final judgment's going to be. And so when the Apostle Paul says this, he wants us to be conscious that Christ is our Redeemer and Christ is our judge. And when we stand before our Lord, we want our Lord to say, well done, my good and faithful servant. I mean, that's really what the Apostle Paul sang. So that's our fundamental drive. That's our fundamental motivation. And so the Apostle Paul is sort of calling to our attention. If you think uh, you can just do whatever you want, that doesn't fly. The reality is you're set apart in Christ. Seek to honor him. And so when, when Paul says this, it is a pretty humbling thing. Especially you think about this culture of a master saying, well, I got slaves, look at me, I, I got all these things. Well, I hear the Apostle Paul saying, it doesn't matter who you think you are. In terms of where you stand before God, you're nothing. And that's a pretty humbling thing to think about where it goes back to, where does Ephesians start? For whatever reason, God has chosen his people for the foundations of the world. We haven't done anything. For whatever reason, this is what God has chosen to do. For whatever reason, Ephesians 2, the Lord has decided to look upon a sinful people, to apply the work of Christ to them, and to raise them up and seat them with Christ Jesus. And so I think it's important that we take the whole thrust of the letter rather than just focus on verse 9. And understand that primary motivation. We are redeemed in Christ. And it's a call for us to want to obey and honor our Savior and to wrestle with as the Apostle Paul exhorts us. Try to discern what's pleasing unto the Lord. In other words, as you live out your life, discern what's pleasing unto him, as he says in Ephesians 5, that reminder, that exhortation. And so, as we think about this commandment, challenging children and challenging adults, how is this a consistent working out of the gospel? Well, it's that reminder that we are those who are called in Christ. And as we're called in Christ, he is our redeemer, he's made us alive, and he's also our Lord. He's a Lord who presides in the context of a covenant community. And we know how that covenant community works. We, we, we see the precedent of it in Israel and what the Lord intended. It's the same exhortation. And so, yes, children are called to obey their parents. And yes, parents are called to raise up their children in the Lord, uh, to teach them, to instruct them. And yes, parents and children are called to be long-suffering with one another. Yes, we are called to honor authority. And we also have that secondary reminder uh, that God is the one who is the ultimate judge. And so it's kind of like what we heard this morning and how Hebrews exhorts the church. Do we want the tap on the shoulder or do we want the bat? And the reality is, as we walk in Christ, 
Fundamentally, we want the tap on the shoulder. We want the Spirit to prod us. We want to conform to Christ. Uh, it's wise to spend some time thinking about what's out of whack and what's not in line with the gospel and to truly desire and pray and, and strive to want to please our Lord. That's fundamentally what the Apostle Paul is telling us, to consciously live as a community set apart in Christ, desiring to honor our Lord as we sojourn under the sun. Let us then be confident that we are secured saints in Christ. He is our shield and defender. He will bring us to glory. And let us desire then, whatever station of life we're in, to want to honor our God as his redeemed people who have been raised up and seated with Christ Jesus as his new temple community. Amen. Thank you for watching or listening to our podcast. Belgrade URC is a Reformed Bible-believing church that seeks to cultivate community around our Savior. If you desire to learn more about Christianity, please join us for worship each Sunday at 10 in the morning or 6 in the evening. You can do this in person or on our live stream. You can also utilize our archive sermon series on our website, urcbelgrade.com, or subscribe to our current sermon series through most common podcatchers. Until we meet again, may the Lord's blessing and peace be upon you. Thank you.